today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Beloved, you and I need to deal with the outside world in the same way that Jesus did. We need to show him Jesus, or we need to show him the Father every chance we get. We need to point him to Christ every chance that we get. We need to love the sinner while at the same time hating the sin. And we need to be the ones that they look in us and they see a peculiar people. They see a people with a whole different mindset, a whole different viewpoint, and a whole different direction and passion in their life than what the world has. As Christians, God has given us a very important task. We are to lead others to Christ. They should be able to look to us and see Jesus. In today's message, Pastor David talks about this important role. We need to be beacons of light to those who are still in darkness. We need to love the sinner while hating their sin. When we blend in with the world, we lose our effectiveness in sharing the gospel and leading people to Christ. Does your life stand out and look different because of your love for Jesus? Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with part 2 of today's message, Your Sanctification. when we cast off this body of sin, when we take this temporary tent and and put it away, when we get rid of this old carcass that we're hauling around, when this mortal puts on immortality, that's when we come finally to that permanent sanctification, that completed place within our spirits that we, again, fully, completely, permanently sanctified. Although for now, As Paul is speaking of sanctification, more often than not, he's speaking about that continual lifelong journey, that work of progressive sanctification in our life. And that's what Paul makes mention of here, our sanctification, dealing with the choices that we make on this earth that have heavenly consequences, Choices that you and I make on this earth here today, tomorrow, this coming week that are gonna have heavenly and eternal consequences. And the very first issue that he deals with with the Thessalonians here in this idea of progressive sanctification is to abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. I don't believe that the, the, the city of Thessalonica would have been any worse than the city of Corinth. As a matter of fact, Corinth was one of the worst of the age as far as, uh, again, its moral decline, the vileness and the wickedness that, that was there. And, and yet Paul is there in Corinth writing to the church of Thessalonica. Now his thoughts are to warn the church of Thessalonica to abstain from sexual immorality. 
Corinth was so vile in their lifestyle that if you, if, if you had a person uh, that, again, you looked at them and, and by their moral actions, by their attitudes, by their loose life, by their indiscreet uh, uh, relationships, their immoral behavior, you could say that they've been Corinthianized. You, uh, she's been Corinthianized. You can see it in her. Or he's been Corinthianized. That's just the way. Because again, to think of Corinth is to think of the most vile and immoral type of a lifestyle. Corinth was known for that multitude and that, that blatantness of all the pagan temple prostitutes and the effect that it had on the moral structure of the whole culture and the whole city at that point. And as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, he sees firsthand the destruction of the lives all around him, and yes, even in the church of Corinth due to sexual immorality. You remember when he writes to Corinth, he's dealing with some sexual immorality there. As a matter of fact, much of what he writes to Corinth, both in First and Second Corinthians, deals with living our lives pure from sexual immorality. Again, uh, the, the, the whole idea, the whole understanding, sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, pornea. It deals with any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, extramarital, premarital. Forms of the word were used to describe someone involved in prostitution, whether it be male or female, slave or free. The word is used to describe both the actions as well as the individuals themselves. And yes, you probably figured it out by now. It's where we get the word pornography, pornography. Paul deals with this issue of sexual immorality throughout his writings to the various churches. And as I shared, his writings to Corinth in particular covers many of those verses. It was obviously a major battle of the day to keep the mind clear and free from the trappings of, of, of that, that loose, that immoral society that they lived in at that point in time. But beloved, I believe the battle today is worse than ever before. And that's a big statement because the Roman culture was absolutely vile. But I believe that we are moving, if not already in it, in a worse condition in our culture. It's a battle that goes on today in the heart and the minds of both men and women, both young and old. And with the rise of the internet, it's expanded the use of pornography exponentially over the last three or four decades. Absolutely amazing. Through a variety of some reliable sources, Time Warner, CNN, the BBC, safefamilies.org, nationalcoalition.org, and the Barna Group, and a host of others, there's been statistics that have been compiled, tabulated through the years that bring us to a very disturbing reality that we need to come to a clear understanding. Beloved, our nation is addicted to pornography. As a nation, we are. And even sadder, the church is not far behind the nation. Statistics show there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. 12% of the websites on the internet are pornographic, 12%. You might think, well, that's not very many until you understand and realize that that's over 
24,600,000 websites are dedicated specifically to pornography. The average age that a child sees porn online is 11 years old. That's male and female. Parents, guardians, you guys have to be the gatekeeper to your child's internet usage. Do you have filters? Do you have a process in, in, in place to guard their hearts and their minds? 72% of all males say they have visited porn sites in the last month. And ladies, you're not immune from it. 28% of females. A recent survey conducted by the Barna Group found that approximately two-thirds, 64% of U.S. men view pornography at least monthly. Moreover, the study revealed the number of Christian men viewing pornography virtually mirrors the national average. Christian men, almost the same as the nation. Now, I could go on and on about the dangers and the damage that pornography does to individuals, to couples, to families, to careers, and yes, even to ministries. And even in this current wave of of sexual abuse that's coming on throughout industries like like Hollywood and, and corporate America that's on the news so much right now today, I believe that it's a, a direct consequence of having too much money, too much power, and involved too deeply or involved in at all sexual immorality. And it's being shown in nearly every corner of our nation. And yet still, as a nation, we flaunt our immorality in every way possible. From advertisements that we see on TV, whether it be during a a game like a Super Bowl or on the evening news, I give my wife the remote. Uh, It's just easier for her to just click. I don't need to see the Victoria's Secret uh, uh, new new gear coming out. She's very quick. And I'm going like a dummy, you know, what what was that? No, you don't need to know. You don't need to know. She's quick, too. She's really quick. From advertisements to reality TV. We've got reality TV. that You've got to be kidding me. And this is on during prime time in the evening. We've got shows during the day that children should not be watching. And again, uh, we we just pray for God's covering on on latchkey children whose both parents are working. These children come home and they're at home alone with a free usage of the remote. From advertisements to reality TV, from the acceptance and the normalization of homosexual lifestyles to literally glorifying infidelity through music and the movie industry. So many songs singing and promoting infidelity. So many movies about, oh, romantic, tear-jerking, heart-tugging movies that deal, that bring in infidelity as the accepted way. Beloved, you and I as adults, we are bombarded by it from every side. But I want you to think right now about your children, your children's children. This younger generation are seeing they are experiencing something more intense and more immoral 
than you and I could have ever imagined 30 or 40 years ago. And it's right there. And if it's not on the TV, it's in their pocket. Psalm 119 asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, the answer is the same, not only for a young man, but for an old one. And also male and female. The answer is the same. How can we keep our way pure? By taking heed according to the word, the word of God. This is what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. Take heed, I urge you, I plead with you, abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God. It is your sanctification. It is a part of the process of your growth, of growing closer and closer to the Lord. He goes on very quickly, verse four. He says, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in a matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. This whole idea of taking advantage of or defrauding your brother, I believe it deals with the understanding of the impact of sexual immorality. When you have sex outside of marriage, you're actually taking another man's wife or another woman's husband, whether it be current or perhaps even future. You're defrauding your own spouse, whether your present spouse or perhaps in the future because you've given yourself to someone else. The word of God says that you are walking in uncleanness, not in holiness to which we are called. I love Proverbs chapter five. Proverbs chapter five. I have a small portion of this uh, at, uh, above my desk at home. It says, beginning of verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and running waters from your own well. Now understand, he's not talking about H2O, okay? Listen to what he says. Verse 16, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Now, I might add correctly, and I believe within the context of the writing here in Proverbs, for why should you, my daughter, be enraptured with an immoral man and be embraced in the arms of a seducer? Paul says, you're not called to uncleanness. You're called to holiness. The urging is strong. The warning is sobering. When we fail in our obedience to this instruction, we're not rejecting the words of man. We're rejecting the word and the spirit of almighty God. God who has given us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of comfort, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live the Christian life and who instructs us 
in righteousness. And when we consistently reject the word of God through our own personal acts of disobedience, we stifle the move and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so begins that continual spiral away from the sweetness of the fellowship of Christ in our life because we piled sin upon sin upon sin and we're closing our ears to that sweet wooing of the Spirit of God. Paul goes on. Once again, he commends them for their acts of love for the brother. Verse nine, we'll move on here. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. You know the people, the ones that are really great at directing other people's lives. And yet their own lives are such a mess. Paul is laying it on him here. He said, look, you need to aspire to lead a quiet life. Oh, and by the way, mind your own business. You know, some people, if they minded their own business, they wouldn't have any business to mind to, right? Because they are so involved with other people's business. Apparently, there were some in Thessalonica that were busybodies, always wondering what what other people are doing, always trying to control other lives, telling them what they should do, what they should say. And Paul tells them, no, you need to be working with your own hands as we commanded you. Apparently, this was a major problem in Thessalonica. Some have speculated that since many of the, the, the Thessalonians believe so greatly in the soon return of Christ that they sold everything and they were just anticipating, man, the Lord's coming any day. Maybe they sold everything and gave it to the church for the work of the ministry and they're expecting that any day the Lord might come again. But he hadn't come and he hadn't come and he hadn't come. Suddenly, they're out of money, they're out of resources and so they start coming to the rest of the church say, look, I was really spiritual. I sold everything, gave it to the church. So I think the church ought to be supporting me. Hey, you got an extra five bucks I could borrow? Hey, I need this money. I need this. Paul, or Paul goes into that. The problem was because Jesus had tarried, they didn't have what they needed. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them, he says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but here again in 2 Thessalonians, they're busybodies. Now those who are such, we command, we exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. 1 Thessalonians, hey, mind your own business. 2 Thessalonians, work in quietness, eat your own bread. Again, this busybody thing. Beloved, our call is not to sell everything and go wait on a hilltop till Jesus comes. You understand that, hopefully. And yet many cults have done that through the years. We, there's a multitude of them where their leadership says, hey, you need to sell everything, give it to the leadership, of course, and then we're gonna wait for Jesus comes and the body doesn't have anything, the leadership have it all. 
Our call is not to sit and wait till Jesus comes. Our call is to occupy till Jesus comes. So many of Jesus' parables pointed toward that. The faithful servant, again, continuing on in the work of the master. The one that he'd given the talents to, continuing on, uh, uh, investing in what the master had given to him over and over. Lastly, real quick here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, we do all this that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Toward those who are outside. That's not the ones that didn't get a seat in the, in the church meeting. No, he's talking about the world. To the non-believers that are around us and that you may lack nothing. Beloved, you and I need to deal with the outside world in the same way that Jesus did. We need to show them Jesus, or we need to show them the Father every chance we get. We need to point them to Christ every chance that we get. We need to love the sinner while at the same time hating the sin. And we need to be the ones that they look in us and they see a peculiar people. They see a people with a whole different mindset, a whole different viewpoint, and a whole different direction and passion in their life than what the world has. Beloved, when you and I start mimicking the world and when the church starts blending into the world, we lose our effectiveness for the gospel to the world. You and I ought to be those who, again, shine forth the love, the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of Christ to a lost and dying world around us who are grabbing at anything and everything they can to find some kind of peace and some kind of satisfaction in these 80, 90 plus years that we may have on this planet before eternity comes and stares us right in the face and we have nothing to give for it. Beloved, there's nothing that we can grab hold of here that we're taking with us to glory except our commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready for that? If you really believe that Jesus is coming soon, are you living your life in a way that when the master comes to the door, you're not gonna be embarrassed? Oh, you know how it is. Somebody comes to visit and you forgot, oh man, we haven't cleaned the house. Hey, we'll be right there. Hold on just a second. We'll, We'll open the door in a moment. Got to pick up the clothes and the socks and wipe the table down. But if you know they're coming, if you know they're coming, we have things ready. Beloved, our Lord is coming. He promised his coming is soon. Are we ready for it? Are we living a life that brings honor to him day by day, progressing in our sanctification to bring glory and honor? If God gave you your own YouTube channel, And on that YouTube channel, all that was displayed on there were your actual thoughts and the reason behind your actions on that big screen. Do you think it would change anything? Well, you know what? The word tells us that when he comes, all things are going to be revealed. Will it change anything? May our hearts and our lives grow to be more conformed to the image of Christ transformed by the renewing of our minds. Not conformed to this world, not pressed into its mold, but again, transformed to the very mind of Christ. Open our hearts.
We're so glad you took time today to listen to the open word, but even more so that you chose to open your heart to the truth of the Bible. If you want to study further in Pastor David's series in 1 Thessalonians, you'll be able to do so at our website, theopenword.com. Just click Teachings at the top of the page to find our library of past messages. You're welcome to download them for free, share them with your friends and family, or just listen right there online. While you're at our website, you'll be able to learn more about Pastor David and why he has such a great passion for sharing the truth of the gospel through the ministry of the open word. Pastor David is the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and he'd like to extend you a personal invitation before our time is up today. Oh, absolutely. We here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we've got a seat waiting for you at our worship services. Come by on Saturday or Sunday or even Wednesday if you like, and we guarantee you'll meet some smiling faces and discover more about Jesus. We're nothing special as a church, just a diverse group of Jesus-loving people who delight in the challenge of the truth of God's Word. Come as you are, and you'll fit right in. You'll be able to find out more about us when you visit our website, theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. That website again once more is theopenword.com. Just follow the link to our church's homepage. With that, our time has officially run out today. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Thessalonians, so join us next time on The Open Word. Make us more.